This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. As we spend the night on the steps between the cornices of the wrathful and the slothful in Canto 17, we settle into the very center of Purgatorio, and because of that, the center of the entire comedy. And here the poet places a conversation about ordered and disordered love. By choosing this place, the very heart of his poetic masterpiece, he signals to his readers that this is the message that pulses through the arteries, veins, and vessels of the poem. If you miss this, you misunderstand the poem. If you miss this, you misunderstand the journey of the pilgrim. And if you miss this, Dante seems to warn, you may miss the moral and spiritual journey that you and I are taking vicariously through him. But it's not only vicariously, is it? We're not only reading about his journey, we're taking our own. For each time we leave the immediacy of our own stories to step into the immediacy of his, we stumble and climb alongside him. We ask his questions and our own. Our souls are confronted and expanded. And we come to realize that there is more than one pilgrim in this story. And when we return to the immediacy of our own pilgrim stories, we discover that we are changed, however slightly, because we have had experiences and gained insights we didn't have before we read. And we draw back into our own stories and fold into our own being some of the wisdom we gained from Dante, which gives us more to be Christian with more to be human with than we had before. We're a bit like Anadas, the central character in George MacDonald's great fantasy story, Fantasties. After he returns from a long journey in fairyland, he asks himself, can I translate the experience of my travels there into common life here? Or must I live it all over again and learn it all over again in the world of men? These questions I cannot answer yet. And of course he can't. Because the only thing that answers that question is the life he goes on to live, like us. In Canto 17, Dante and Virgil leave the souls of the vengeful to climb a stony staircase to the fourth ledge, where souls who suffer from despondent sloth or acedia are being restored. But as they ascend, Dante feels his legs get increasingly heavy. This may be another dramatized confession of the poet, because, spoiler alert, in a few cantos, Beatrice will chastise Dante for his own spiritual sloth, sarcastically asking him, So, at last, you have deigned to climb the mount? You learned at last that here lies human bliss? This reminds us of the scene at the base of Mount Purgatory, where Dante asks his friend Casella to sing a little ditty that would give some peace to his restless longings, and Casella sings Dante's own love poetry back to him. So there he is with Virgil and all the newly arrived souls, luxuriating in love poetry, acting as if it was the only thing that existed, he says. Beautiful, right? Well, no. Because while, yes, Dante and others should be seeking rest for their restless hearts, they're not supposed to find it in his own love poetry. Aeolo and Francesca could have told him that back in Inferno 5. Instead, Dante and these souls should have been racing each other to join the soul train, working their way up the mountain. Instead, there they were, wasting time. 
So while we marvel at Dante's magnificent comedy, his political writing, De Monarchia, his La Vida Nuova, and his military and political prowess, even with all that activity, he doesn't want us to miss his slothful approach to what was more important, the reformation of his soul. And how many accomplished people can relate to that, I wonder, who have made great progress academically, politically, financially, or professionally, only at the expense of not making much progress spiritually? I'd guess Dante is not alone here. I mean, instead, it seems he wants us to follow Virgil, who comments in Purgatorio 3 that the more one learns, the more one comes to hate the waste of time. Or Ferrezi Donati in Purgatory 24, who will apologize for hastening away from Dante by explaining, Now I must leave you. I have lost much time walking along with you at your own pace. And time is precious to us in this realm. But Dante, the slow pilgrim, invites us to learn along with him in the words of Scott Cairn's poem Metanoia that sin is often not so bad as it is a waste of time. But even though Dante has no desire to keep climbing at this point, he rightly desires to keep learning. So he asks his guide to reveal the inhabitants of the next cornice, and in true professorial fashion, Virgil delivers a long lecture to a short question. Now, in his lecture, Virgil explains that purgatory is a seven-story mountain, each level of which is devoted to reforming one of the seven deadly sins and that the seven deadlies are the result of disordered loves. In order to replace the seven deadly vices with seven life-giving virtues, we have to recalibrate our loves, Virgil says. Now, this isn't love as agape, but love as desire, a, a non-sexual or non-romantic eros or amour that desires to obtain or participate in what it loves. Uh, this is the kind of love Augustine has in mind when in the Confessions he writes, my love is my weight, and it carries me where it will. And the kind of love Virgil refers to when he says that our loves are seeds that flower into either virtue or vice as we habitually pursue what we rightly or wrongly love. Now, Virgil also explains that there are two kinds of this love. The first he calls natural love. Now, this describes the desire for God that essentially God built into human nature. This natural love makes, for instance, prayer and praise our native languages, and life in God's presence our native home. When we allow this natural love to remain our primary love or desire, it helps us order all the secondary or elective loves we have for other things. But these secondary loves or desires, translated as mental, rational, or elective loves, loves the animo, can become disordered in two primary ways. First, Virgil explains, we can love and desire the wrong things, illustrated on cornices one to three. These include the prideful desire that our neighbor, colleague, or competitor lose what success or honor or widget they may have so that we will look superior when next to them. So I wrongly love your demise. This vice is replaced by the virtue of humility on the first cornice. The second cornice reforms the envious desire that our neighbor, colleague, or competitor fail to achieve whatever new success, honor, or widget might position them, at least in our own minds, superior to us in some way. So I wrongly love it 
and you are kept beneath me. This is the vice of envy, replaced by contentment on the second cornice. And the third cornice attends to that angry and vengeful desire that my enemy suffer for having offended or wronged me. This vice must be replaced by the virtues of forgiveness and mercy. Lessons Dante himself needs to learn, and maybe why God sends Dante the three negative images that open this canto. For Dante certainly has reason to resent all those who conspired to convict him of false crimes and banish him from his beloved Florence and family. Anyone who has been truly wronged by another person will know how easily revenge fantasies pour unbidden but sometimes luxuriously into our imaginations. But the images poured into Dante's imagination here are meant to disabuse him and us of that dark pleasure. They suggest that if we love to fantasize about harming someone who harmed us, we align ourselves with Procne who before she was turned into a nightingale, murdered, cooked, and served her son to her husband as dinner, as payback to her husband for raping her sister and cutting out her tongue to keep her silent. Raw brutality for raw brutality. And when we desire to carry out vindictive machinations against the person who disrespected us, we identify with Haman, who conspired to have the Israelites put to death en masse because one of them, Mordecai, refused to bow down to him. When we rage because someone thwarted our precious plans, we partner with the indignant Queen Amata who killed herself when she realized her daughter Lavinia would marry Aeneas instead of her chosen Turnus. None of these dark fantasies turned out well or ever turn out well, and none of them would help Dante become like the angel of this cornice who lovingly meets Dante's need before he even asks, helpfully pointing the way upward as soon as he and Virgil appear lost. So, thus Cornus is one to three in love for the wrong things. Now, secondly, we can love the right things wrongly, with either too little or too much zeal. So, Cornus four is next, where weak love of a good thing is healed. Cornus's five to seven are coming where excessive love of material goods, food and drink, and sex and romantic love are tempered and brought back into alignment. See, when we love good things excessively, it's often because we have foisted unrealistic and unbearable expectations upon them, expecting some person or possession, some act or accomplishment to satisfy us in ways only God can, to comfort us in ways only Christ can or to offer rest to our weary souls in ways only the Spirit can. But we try to squeeze out of some lesser good what it actually can't give. And so we become dissatisfied and disappointed with it, because it can never supply what we demand from it. And so what delight we might have had, what enjoyment we might have had, even that slips away. This is why Augustine, out of love for his congregation, tells them in one of his sermons, I'm not saying you should have no loves. I simply want your loves to be properly ordered. And why Dante, here, out of love for his readers, exhorts us to stop wasting our time indulging our disordered and misdirected loves. And why Soren Kierkegaard, in his excellent phrase, exhorts us to have God as the middle term in any relationship. Any relationship to another person and 
by extension, any relationship with any other good we might love and pursue. When we do this, when we have our loves properly ordered, we will be ready to hear the words Virgil speaks to Dante at the top of Mount Purgatory when he says, From here on, let your pleasure be your guide. Now is your will upright, wholesome, and free, and not to heed its pleasure would be wrong. Now you're free to follow your desires. Now you are free to handle them rightly. Now you are freed for the kind of sanctified hedonism Adam and Eve enjoyed in the original creation and which the sanctified in heaven will enjoy in the new creation. And until then, we anticipate that abundant life when we properly love, properly enjoy the goods and delights God offers us, seeing them like beautiful breadcrumbs leading us back to God and the abundant life he offers. This is why sin is sometimes not so bad as it is a waste of time. Because why on earth, Dante asks, why on earth would we waste time moving toward our heart's rest, our joy's delight, and our love's fulfillment? Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.